Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk cheese. Recorded live. Have you ever dreamed of being a karate master? Well, stop dreaming and start chopping with the Karate Glove. Hi, my name's Molly, inventor of the Karate Glove, and I have just one and a half words for you. Hiya! The Karate Glove chops through anything. Just put it on and instantly chop through wood, Hi-ya! concrete, Hi-ya! brick wall, Hi-ya! trees, Hi-ya! small cars. It can even chop through these eight guitars. It chops things. If I can invent a karate glove, just imagine what you can do. Visit inventnow.org to get started on your invention. Anything's possible. Keep thinking. Brought to you by the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, the National Inventors Hall of Fame Foundation, and the Ad Council. It's high time. Take a break from your busy schedule and join Harold Sala for Guidelines, a five-minute commentary on living. Can you really trust the press to give you the full story? No, Barbara Reynolds, formerly an editor of USA Today, would answer. She believes that the press consistently whitewashes stories and gives them a secular spin, leaving out references to spiritual topics. She is charged that repeatedly references to prayer meetings References to God and Jesus Christ in the speeches of world leaders and statesmen have deliberately been edited out by newspapers, including the London Times, the New York Times, the Washington Post, Newsweek, and others. She wrote, Eastern European activists have a lot to tell us about God, how God rescues people from the depths of personal and political hell. But somehow... Much of the press has decided the public has no right to know this. References to God, Jesus, the Christian spirit, being born again, and so forth, are systematically eliminated from print, as though there was an unspoken conspiracy not to acknowledge or print statements invoking the spiritual natures of people for the majority of news services which feed newspapers and magazines. Question, why a bias against Christianity? when there is none against reporting smut or the moral failures of Christians. Len Kreiderman, a former news editor of Christianity Today, said, some journalists are biased against all matters of faith, and no doubt the Christian faith. A lot of them don't understand religion, so it becomes easier to ignore it. The late William Adler, a spokesman for the New York Times, explained that editing is not a science, quote, just a matter of fitting the copy into the news hole. So not quoting references to the part that God has played in the affairs of life in our world is simply due to the fact that there is not enough time or space to do the whole story. Right. The untold story. 
is the part that God plays in the affairs of humankind, often setting one government aside and raising up another which is just. Whether or not democracy should be the norm for every country is not the issue, but fair and just reporting should also acknowledge how faith in God has driven much of what has taken place since 1991, usually an unreported, unacknowledged segment of history. When a secular press chooses to edit out references to God and Christianity, it should be no great surprise, as the world has never been a friend to greats. Let the secular press own up to the fact that it is biased, it gives us only the news it chooses to give us, and slants in it such a way that references to God and Christian faith often appear to be characteristic of weak, rather quaint individuals who have not yet fully joined the 21st century. Almost totally absent from the secular press are stories of religious interest. The thousands of people who meet together and pray for world peace, who read the Bible and religious literature, who demonstrate peacefully, expectantly, and confidently that God would give direction to world leaders and bring peace to our troubled world real story behind the story is how God has answered the prayers of his people, no matter where they are, who are tired of religious oppression and want to chart their own destiny. Let us not forget it either. It is my sincere conviction that the closer we are to the return of Jesus Christ, the darker will be our world and the greater will be the price that those who are true to the faith will actually pay. As first century Christians put it, Maranatha, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. As we come to the end of today's commentary, I would like to do two things. First, I would like to say thank you to you wonderful people who listen to guidelines day after day, week after week. Your comments and your emails are such an encouragement. Email goes to guidelines at guidelines.org. And then I want to thank the network of stations around the world who carry guidelines. If you enjoy the program, let them know. Wow, yeah, since the storm, it's been crazy busy for us. We got all kinds of office desks coming in. Uh, here's a it's a fancy one right here. It's missing a leg, but that's all right. Whatever. Washers and dryers from a laundromat. Oh, wow, and check this out. Another deep fryer. And I'm not sure what this doohickey is. Yeah, most businesses weren't ready for a storm like that, you know. But our work's really piling up here at Roberts and Son Salvage. What will become of your business after a disaster? Nearly two-thirds of businesses aren't prepared for an emergency and 40% of businesses that experience a disaster never recover. Make an emergency plan now, before it's too late. For a free online tool that helps you develop an emergency plan to keep your business up and running should disaster strike, visit ready.gov forward slash business. Brought to you by the Federal Emergency Management Agency, the American Red Cross, and the Ad Council. This is Morning Inspirations with Minister Kenneth Jenkins.
Psalm 5. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Hearken unto the voice of my cry, my King and my God. For unto thee will I pray. My voice shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee, and will look up. For thou art not a God that hath pleasure in wickedness, neither shall evil dwell with thee. The foolish shall not stand in thy sight. Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. Thou shalt destroy them that speak leasing. The Lord will abhor the bloody and deceitful man. But as for me, I will come into thy house in the multitude of thy mercy, and in thy fear will I worship toward thy holy temple. Lead me, O Lord, in thy righteousness because of mine enemies. Make thy way straight before my face. For there is no faithfulness in their mouth. Their inward part is very wickedness. Their throat is an open sepulcher. They flatter with their tongue. Destroy thou them, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Cast them out in the multitude of their transgressions, for they have rebelled against thee. Let all those that put their trust in thee rejoice. Let them ever shout for joy because thou defendest to them. Let them also that love thy name be joyful in thee. For thou, Lord, wilt bless the righteous. With favor wilt thou compass him as with a shield.
Early morning gospel program, morning inspirations, and it's 32 days of summer. It's now time for it's not it's now time for our prayer, our prayer time. Let's go to the throne of grace, dear Father God. We say thank you. One more day. Say thank you, Lord. Waking us up early this morning, starting us on our way. Forgive us, Lord, for any sins that we that we done or thought of or, or said. But we lift up those, Lord, behind prison walls. We lift up those, Lord, in hospice, in hospitals, and nursing homes everywhere. We lift up those, Lord, who who are in mourning. Especially, Lord, we lift up uh, those in our sister city in Charleston. The members of Mother Emmanuel Amy Church. And we lift up the people of Charleston. The people of South Carolina. And we lift up those, Lord, who... Don't know you. Have mercy, Lord. We pray that we pray, Lord, that they that get to know you better. Lord, Lord, we we lift up every Christian, every child of God, right now, Lord. We have some difficult days, Lord. We ask you to help us go through it. So we just took that. Just took our men and women in armed forces. Our men in blue. Our firefighters. Our EMTs. Those who work in the hospitals. Who work uh, in the different senior homes 
much more that which remaineth is glorious. Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech, and not as Moses which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. But their minds were blinded, for until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their hearts. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. May God, by that same Spirit, speak to our hearts today through this portion of his holy word, and may his name ever be praised. Liberty is something that we so much take for granted that we don't think of it too much. It's like the air we breathe until it is taken away from us. We are often completely unconscious of it. People go for days without ever thinking about it the air that they breathe, upon which their life from moment to moment depends. We think that, well, everybody has liberty. No, my friends, that's not true. One organization that monitors those things tells us that of the more than 200 nations on this planet, there are only 26 who enjoy freedom. That is up. If you went back a couple of hundred years, you would find that freedom was almost unknown. Very few nations down through the centuries have known anything vaguely approaching the freedom and liberty that we have known in this country. Well, today we do well to remember that liberty and the price that was paid for it, those that struggled and fought and bled and died that we might enjoy something which we mostly take for granted. Liberty that we as Americans well. In this passage which I read to you this morning, Paul is talking about that liberty. Liberty of the children of God reminds us that before there can be civil liberty, there must be that personal liberty that that only God can give. And in this passage, which is a wonderful passage, and yet one that unfortunately many people have a little difficulty understanding, he is contrasting the two great sections of the Scripture, the Old Covenant and the New, the Old Testament and the New Testament, the law and the gospel, which is basically what the Bible is made up of. And he reminds us that the Old Testament, that the law was something that was temporary, and though it was glorious and had a certain glory beyond anything that had ever been known before, that which has replaced it, the gospel, is infinitely more glorious. In fact, it is so glorious that even when there was a faint foreshadowing of it given in the law, Moses had to veil his face when he came down to the people. 
And that veil was a symbol of partly the fact that the law obscured the great truth of God's grace. It obscured it under the shadows of types and figures and foreshadowings. And it also was a symbol of the blindness that was upon the hearts and minds of the Jews as they tried to grasp the meaning of it. And Paul goes on to say that their minds were blinded, for until this day, he says, there remaineth the same veil, untaken away, in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. The only way that we can understand the Old Testament is in Jesus Christ. And those that try to read it and understand it without him, for them, there will ever be a veil over their minds and hearts. Because Christ is the heart of both the Old Testament and the New. And then he says, Nevertheless, when it shall turn unto the Lord, that is, when the people's heart shall turn unto the Lord, then that veil shall be taken away. And you know, it's true today, not merely among the Jews, but among countless millions of other people in this world and in America, perhaps right here in this church, there are those who are in the same condition. There are those that really have not progressed out of the Old Testament. They still believe that their acceptance by God is based upon their keeping laws, upon their legal obedience, upon following rules and obeying commandments. And they hope that they have done so well enough that they might be acceptable. Yet deep in their heart, they know that they have not. Of course, it's always a shock to them whenever I tell them, did you ever read just how well you would have to do that, how well you would have to keep those commandments to be acceptable to God? The Bible is very clear. It says, be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. What a standard. It says if we offended one point, we're guilty of all. My friends, all of us have offended in far more than one point, in thousands of points. We are guilty one and all. We have failed one and all to keep that law. And therefore, we are cursed by it. If we ever are going to know true liberty as individuals or nations, it's going to begin when we are delivered from the curse of the law. The law kills, the Bible says. The law condemns. The law contains within it a curse. Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things that are written in the book of the law. Would you want to be cursed by Almighty God? Well, if you fail to keep one single point of the law, you are under that curse. Have you kept the whole law? I have. Happy to say to some of you that every jot and tittle in heart and mind and soul, I have kept. Or to be more accurate, my substitute, Jesus Christ, has kept for me. He vicariously, in my place, obeyed every one of God's commandments, the only person who ever has. And he endured the curse of my breaking the law upon the cross. In his life, he obeyed it for me. In his death, he endured the curse in my place. It's only in Christ that that curse of the law is done away. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty.
My friends, where the Spirit of the Lord is not, there is tyranny, and there is bondage. The church deserves much of the blame. We have received the gospel, the good news, the salvation, the freedom, and many have kept it to themselves. There are some people right here, right now, who have never led one person to Christ. You are part of the problem. That is an attitude of selfishness. You got yours. The rest of the world can go to hell. You need to be a witness for Jesus Christ. You need to pray for revival in this land that we may be turned back away from the same kinds of attitudes that were in the minds of the French 200 years ago. That this nation might repent of its sins and turn unto God. You need, if you know Christ, to know the freedom that he gives. Not the slavish fear of one as a Christian who lives by laws, but a child who loves his father and who lives for him. If the spirit of Christ is in your heart, you should love God, and your great desire in life should be to live for him. I would ask you, those things that most occupy your time, your talents, your energy, all of your effort and thought now, what will they amount to a hundred years from now? We should live our lives for those things which are eternal, for the souls of men, for the kingdom of God. Otherwise, you are a fool. Writing your life out upon the sand of the beach. Lord is that where the Spirit of the Lord is. May that Spirit dwell in your hearts. Father, I pray that some here this day who are yet in the bondage of sin, who yet have no assurance of eternal life, who yet do not know that they are right with thee, I say to thee right now, Lord Jesus Christ, grant me the gift of eternal life, and, O oh Christ, set me free. Amen. If you just prayed with Dr. Kennedy asking Jesus Christ to be your Savior and Lord, then you've received the greatest gift ever offered by the greatest person who ever lived. And here is what Jesus Christ says about what you've done. These are Jesus' words to you. He that believeth on me has everlasting life. I encourage you to tell a family member or a friend about the gift of eternal life that you've received today, a gift like no other and they may want to receive that gift too. As you begin new life in Christ, we'd like to send you Beginning Again, the book written by Dr. Kennedy to help new believers. In these pages, you'll learn how to pray, how to read and study God's Word, even how to witness to others. To receive Beginning Again, just write to our address or call our toll-free number. You can also log on to truthinaction.org. God bless you as you do. 
As my father explained in his message today, you can't have true political freedom without having true spiritual freedom. Just as culture precedes politics, so the spiritual precedes the political. But did you know about the strong link between the Christian faith and our form of government? In America, our elected leaders all swear in pledging to uphold the Constitution. Theoretically, it's what governs the land. But did you know that it was a concept drawn straight from the Bible that ultimately gave rise to the American Constitution? Let's take a closer look. Barry Lynn, the head of Americans United for the Separation of Church and State, once said, quote, This was designed as a very secular legal system. The Constitution doesn't even mention the word God. Is the Constitution of the United States a secular, godless document, as so many historical revisionists claim today? Let's more closely investigate the seeds from which it grew. More than 20 years ago, on the eve of the Year of the Bible, Newsweek magazine had this to say about the scriptures and the founding of America. Now historians are discovering that the Bible, perhaps even more than the Constitution, is our founding document. The Bible, our founding document? How so? One of those historians Newsweek could have had in mind is Dr. Donald S. Lutz of the University of Houston. He and the late Dr. Charles Heinemann conducted a groundbreaking, massive study wherein they examined some 15,000 documents written during America's founding era. There, they found 3,154 citations or references to other sources. During the founding era of the late 1700s, there were no magazines. Newspapers had a very small circulation. There was no television. There was no Internet. What did people do for entertainment? They would read pamphlets. Now, of all the pamphlets published during the last part of the 1700s, more than 80% of them were reprinted sermons. Critics point out that the Constitution doesn't mention God or Jesus Christ, although, of course, it does say that it was done in the year of our Lord. Years ago, I sat down to do a close textual analysis of the U.S. Constitution to understand the text, and it took me back to the early state constitutions. And I thought, well, where did they come from? So I looked for the origins of those early state constitutions, and it led me back to documents in the colonial era, back further and further and further, until finally I came to these documents I recognized as covenants. I suddenly realized, whoa, wait a minute. The U.S. Constitution goes back to covenants. In the Bible, all God's dealings with men take place through covenants, a solemn agreement between God and man. For example, God says to Abraham in Genesis chapter 17, verse 2, and I will make my covenant between me and thee, and will multiply thee exceedingly. All these people understood covenants, and they understood compacts. These poor people came to the New World. They had the wrong technologies. Their plows would not work. Their houses that they constructed were inappropriate for the weather. All of their technology was wrong, except for one technology they brought with them, was the ability to use covenants to create communities. It was the perfect technology. It was the technology that mattered. It allowed them to survive all up and down the coast. Dr. Lutz points out that the Constitution, which is the nuts and bolts of how our government should work, is predicated on the Declaration of Independence, which states the why of our government. 
this declaration, read it, calls upon God as a witness of the covenant. And everyone understood what we were doing with that two-part document, because at that time, everyone understood the covenant theology. The Constitution was a unique creation in America, and it gets back to the Puritans and other Christian settlers drawing from the Bible. No other country, including England, had a fixed written constitution. I collect constitutions of various countries, which is one of the things I do. I have constitutions in my office of 170 different countries. When I ask the British Embassy for their constitution, they send me a book. It is this big. It's a thousand pages long. The first part is the Magna Carta and all these documents. It's a thousand page book that they call the constitution because it has to contain acts of parliament and uh, decisions by their court. In contrast, what do we find with the American Constitution? We have this nice, tidy document, the U.S. Constitution, the preamble, and a few articles. Isn't that slick? We have that because of our biblical background that taught us that we should have a founding document that is one document. Furthermore, we expect that there should be names at the end. At the end of the Constitution, there's a list of names. Look at the Declaration of Independence at the end, there's a list of names. Why? Because you have to have parties to the covenant who agree. And so there's a list of names at the end, those who have agreed to the covenant. The Pilgrims began the process of American constitutionalism when they wrote the Mayflower Compact where they called upon God as a witness as they made and signed a written agreement for self-government. This was the first of nearly a hundred such documents before the Constitution was framed in Philadelphia 167 years later. The Fundamental Orders of Connecticut, written in 1639, based on a sermon by Thomas Hooker, was the first complete Constitution written on American soil. It declares, We enter into combination and confederation together to maintain and preserve the liberty and purity of the gospel of our Lord Jesus, which we now profess. Washington ordered that copy in Philadelphia in 1787, that every delegate would have a copy of Connecticut's state constitution because it was so powerfully done, so rooted in Holy Scripture, in the Word of God, such an effective document. Washington wanted that to be a reference work for the federal constitution work they were about to get into. So that's that's the tremendous influence of the state of Connecticut. Uh, their constitution goes directly back to a Puritan minister, Thomas Hooker. The American constitution went on to become the prototype for constitutions the worldwide. The whole idea of a written constitution is an American invention. The United States Constitution is the undeniable consequence of those biblical ideas. And it becomes a model for other national constitutions. Dr. Donald S. Lutz also points out that the whole concept of the federal government is also derived from the Christian tradition. The word federal comes from the Latin word fetus, which is the Latin word for covenant. A fetus is a covenant. What you do is you take 13 states, 13 entities, create a new thing, the United States of America, which shall not be ripped asunder, but each of those states remains still independent. That's federalism. Furthermore, even the word election grew out of the Calvinist doctrine of election. 
the political word was derived from the biblical word and not vice versa. What are elections? Elections were designed by these Americans in the early area for a virtuous people to help identify who amongst them are more virtuous, those who are most likely to be among the elect, those who are most likely to be saved, Therefore, to say that the U.S. Constitution has nothing to do with the Judeo-Christian heritage is not accurate. The Declaration and Constitution developed after nearly 200 years of covenant-making. The Constitution of the United States, a document which has served as the foundation of the freest country in the history of the world, it is largely the product of Christian men with a biblical worldview. The source that our founders most quoted in their writings by far was not any secularist like Rousseau or Voltaire, but the Bible itself. The Constitution's pedigree traces back not to the European Enlightenment, which resulted in the horrifically bloody French Revolution, but rather to the Christian covenants and compacts developed by the pilgrims and the Puritans and their spiritual descendants, as they looked to the Bible for their guidance. Dear friends, the constitutional framework for America's liberty under law was created by Christianity and reflects biblical ideas. Fascinating, isn't it? Our nation and our freedoms were birthed out of the biblical concept of covenant. Yet today, many secularists treat Christians as if we're interlopers in an otherwise blissful secular state. My dad was passionate about this nation, waking up to the truth of our Christian roots and calling America back to God. It was one of those themes he kept returning to over and over. America a Christian nation. Because America began as a Christian nation, people of all faith or no faith are welcome here. The founders gave us freedom of religion, which includes the freedom not to believe. But groups like the ACLU today are trying to impose freedom from religion. Dr. Kennedy showed masterfully what the founders thought and how they clearly gave us freedom of religion. At Truth in Action Ministries, we have now compiled seven of the best messages from Dr. Kennedy on our nation's history in a series we're calling America at the Tipping Point. You absolutely must get this series for your library and for your children and grandchildren, perhaps even for your pastor. This set is available only through Truth in Action Ministries, and we're offering it for a generous donation of any amount for a limited time. Simply write to Box 6053, Albert Lee, Minnesota, 56007, or call toll-free 877-942-7677, or go online to truthinaction.org. The message from which you've just heard an excerpt today, The Spirit of Liberty, is just one of the messages contained on this seven-DVD set. You can see it here in its entirety. Today's program has been just a taste of what this series has to offer. Among the other messages our America for God, which was preached at the Lincoln Memorial on the 4th of July in 1986, America adrift, returning to our roots 
and more. With an election season just around the corner, America really is at a tipping point. You'll want these messages to prepare yourself, your friends, and your church to be ready to vote to keep us from going over the edge. Perhaps you can give $60, $70, or $100, or more. Whatever you can give helps us get this vital information out to a world that can't seem to turn away from God fast enough. The exclusive 7-DVD set, America at the Tipping Point, is yours for a generous donation of any amount. Write to Box 6053, Albert Lee, Minnesota, 56007, or call toll-free 877-942-7677, or go online to truthinaction.org. My dad lays out the facts of America's origins in this series of messages, America at the Tipping Point. So please, be sure to send a generous gift today and request this set by name. Thank you for joining us, and may God bless you as you stand with us. And may God bless America with repentance and a new national awakening. A video of today's program is available on DVD for your gift to this ministry of any amount. So please, call, write, or log on to our website today. Next week on Kennedy Classics. The Constitution of the United States begins with the words, we the people, but that's rapidly being replaced by we the judges. Indeed, our Constitution is under attack by activist judges, including some on our nation's Supreme Court. That's next week. This has been a production of Truth in Action Ministries. You're listening to the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins.
are listening to Morning Inspirations on Jam Radio 2.1. Good morning, this is the only one who got the program, Morning in- Inspirations, we don't talk to you, and Jam Radio, good morning, good morning to you and yours, trying to wake up everybody. Yeah. 
churches have to pay real estate taxes on land they own but do not use? Legal insight from your church. Here's a word from attorney David Gibbs, Jr. A pastor contacted the Christian Law Association because his church had received a county real estate tax bill. The church had purchased a few acres of land adjacent to their property and believed that as a church, they were automatically exempt from any real estate tax. A Christian Law Association attorney explained that an application for exemption has to be filed, but the deadline had already passed. Our attorneys suggested appealing the ruling, but the church needed to be prepared to show that the land is being used for church-related activities, such as special events or even overflow parking. Church ownership does not, in and of itself, automatically guarantee exemption from real estate taxes. The property must be reasonably used. An unsettling but important conversation to have. You can keep up with this issue and many more when you visit our website, It's christianlaw.org. You'll find critical case updates, links to legal resources, and much more. That's christianlaw.org.
the praise begin. We'll be right back with more right after this. This is Morning Inspirations on Gen Radio 2.1. <laughs> Doing this is Trisha Yearwood from RAD. When you're out partying, please plan ahead and choose a designated driver. I do. Remember, music lives, and so should you. A public service message brought to you by the U.S. Department of Transportation, RAD, the National Association of Broadcasters, and the Ad Council. Satan's methods. There's nothing new. Answers with Ken Ham whose ministry is building a full-size Noah's Ark south of Cincinnati, Ohio. The Apostle Paul warned us about Satan's ways. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul warned the Christians that Satan would use the same tactics he used on Eve in the Garden of Eden. And how did he trick Eve? Well, he created doubt about God's word, knowing it would lead to unbelief. Did God really say that? Satan asked Eve. You know, that's the same question many Christians ask today about Genesis. Did God really say six days? Did he really say worldwide flood? Did he really say death came after sin? One of the most effective ways to create doubt about God's word is by teaching evolution in millions of years. And Satan knows that if you can get people to question the book of Genesis, which is foundational to the rest of the Bible, then this doubt will ultimately lead to unbelief regarding the rest of Scripture. We need to accept God's words in Genesis and not let the devil use his old tactics to spread skepticism about the entire Bible. Can we really accept the book of Genesis as true history? Did Noah really build an ark to escape a flood? Solid answers are given in our 95-page pocket guide, and for your copy, all you have to do is call us toll-free and make a donation of any amount. 1-888-89-ANSWERS. Today's the last day to call and request the ark guide. So call 888-89-ANSWERS or go to our website of AnswersOffer.org. Is this radio spot where Nikki Baker's life, it would start pretty normal, like this. But, but then, then right, right around here, her life would take a bad turn with her mother abusing her. And about this far in, Nikki would drop out of high school and run away. Here, she'd be forced to work two jobs struggling to support herself and her daughter. She'd feel stuck, stuck, stuck. But then she'd decide to earn her GED diploma. She'd take my prep classes, study every night, and feel unstuck. Because she finally hears someone say, Nikki Baker, come up and get your GED diploma. If this radio spot were Nikki Baker's life, the ending wouldn't be the ending at all. It would be the beginning of a brighter future. For free info about GED test prep classes, call 1-877-38-YOUR-GED or visit yourged.org. GED is a registered trademark of the American Council on Education, brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. You are listening to Morning Inspirations on Jam Radio 2.1.
hot out here. No? I don't mind, though. Glad to be free. You know what I'm saying? Uh. Remember the many miracles, including technology, that God has wrought. 
in all the ways we communicate, it's good to keep that message in mind in the high calling of our daily work. For more information, visit ourdailywork.org. Hi, I'm Johnny Erickson Tata. When a woman named Hope arrived at our Wheels for the World distribution site in Jordan, her arms and legs were rigid. She could not sit up, and she was quiet and timid. Hope was in desperate need for a wheelchair. Our therapist told us to watch and pray as he fitted her, as we were about to see an amazing change. We prayed, and when the chair was finally ready, there was not a dry eye in the room, because there sat Hope, tall and beautiful with a big smile, blowing kisses to everyone. In Luke chapter 18, it says, Jesus shared a parable with the disciples, so, quote, that they should always pray and not give up. That day, our Wheels physical therapist prayed for a change in Hope's life, and God answered. So join us, will you, in praying for God to work in the lives of other people with disabilities? And learn more about Wheels for the World at johnnyandfriends.org.
Would you join with me, please, in prayer? Pray with me. Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. Jesus, thank you that you loved me enough that you became a man and died on a cross, paid the price for all the wrong things that I have done. I'm sorry for my sin. It's my sin that puts you on that cross. And I'm sorry. I don't want to live in rebellion to you anymore. I ask you to forgive me. And tonight I open my heart and I invite you into my life to be my Savior and my Lord. I believe, Jesus, you are the Son of God. I believe you died for me to pay the price for all the wrong things that I've committed against God and against man. I believe that on the third day, by the power of God, you were raised from the dead as living proof that my trust in you tonight is not in vain. I believe that as Christ was raised from the dead, so tonight, Almighty God, you are raising me from the dead, from the death of sin. You are giving me a new life, the life of Jesus Christ. Oh God, on my testimony and the belief in my heart and according to your word, at this moment, I believe I am saved. I am saved. I am saved. Hallelujah. Saved. Saved. Oh, let me ask you, friends, in closing tonight, have you done this? Have you obeyed the gospel? Have you obeyed the gospel? Have you come to that obedience of faith? Have you come to that place of true repentance and true faith? Have you turned around? Have you forsaken your sin? Have you turned around? Have you forsaken your sin? Are you trusting alone tonight in Jesus Christ for your salvation? For there is no other way, there is no other message. For there is no other way, there is no other message. Oh, come to him, come to the Saviour tonight. Come to him just as you are. Come to him in your sin. Come to him in all your needs. Cast yourself upon his mercy and upon his infinite grace. Cast yourself upon his mercy and upon his infinite grace. Cast yourself wholly to him. And you too will enter into that joy of sins forgiven, peace with God, and eternal, abundant life through Jesus Christ our Lord. How can I say thanks? For the things you have done for me, things so undeserved, that you gave your very life.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.